Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Wednesday morning. Um, now, you're fresh from your return from your high school reunion. Yeah, my first one ever, Bill. Never, never. Have you ever been to one? Sure, I, I'm. I'm. I'm surprised you've never been to one because you're not even all that far away from where you went to high school. Well, no, and I'm closer now, and that's one of the reasons I went is that I'm actually uh, closer than I used to be when I lived in in the D.C. area. Uh, not that I don't still sort of live in the D.C. area, but I'm even closer now. So I went, and it was good, man. Um, it was good. I have to say that it was it was a a weekend of 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 nostalgia because we had the Lewis. I took my boys to the Lewis family reunion. Uh, Saturday and then Saturday night I had the the high school reunion and saw now, now how how big is a family reunion? Big. This is um these are the descendants of my great grandparents, um and so and my great grandparents had like ten kids, um and I just found out uh, apparently one of them died from the Spanish flu, hmm. but. My 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 great grandparents had ten kids, and this is all their descendants. My grand my my dad had nine brothers and sisters as well, so it's a huge family reunion. I mean, sadly, only a fraction of of the descendants uh, who are in the area come to it. But it's a tradition. You know, I've, in in recent years, I've gotten more into tradition and more into uh, uh, community, and so I'm trying to do these things and take my boys to these things. Mm -hmm. See, I and can't imagine putting in the time and effort to organize a massive family gathering. That would be like the lowest item on my to-do list to spend my energies on. And the guy who did it, there was a guy named Johnny King who uh, ran it every year and he just passed away last mm. year. So I thought maybe we weren't going to have any more family reunions, but his mm. wife stepped up and now she's doing it. And, you know, I have to say, um, anything that gets done like this requires people to step up. You know, a couple of years ago, as you remember, Bill, I was coaching Little League during the COVID mm -hmm. pandemic. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, I signed up to be an assistant coach and got dragooned into being the head coach, uh, the manager of a baseball team. And I would wake up in the middle of the night worrying about which kid I was going to start pitcher that night and who was going to play shortstop. And it, it became very consuming. Um, and the thing is, Little League is run by like two or three volunteers, you know, in yeah, an entire yeah. county. And without those people, then it just doesn't happen. And so I'm basically a free rider on this family reunion. <laughs> I show up, I throw in like 10 bucks, but someone else mm. plans it, organizes it, gets the location, brings the fried chicken, whatever. And I show up with my kids and get to uh, be a part of a family. Mm. And thank God for those people who, who do the actual work. Well, let me shift back to high school. Um, yeah. So, so one, I'm surprised you've never been to one before, but two, having now gone to one, like, were, were you the star of the show? Were you like the guy who was the biggest success out of your class? Or, well, I, really like to say, I mean, there are, you know, uh, I reconnected. So, so part of it was um, I'm from a little town called Wolfsville. Um, and we were then in middle school shipped off about a half hour, 45 minutes away to a bigger school that was uh, not really what you call urban, but more sophisticated, more uh, cosmopolitan. Um, and which is, which is not saying much when you consider <laughs> people probably don't realize how rural the area I'm from is and was. 
Um, so I really didn't fit in and I didn't do, um, we were kind of like rednecks and, and I didn't mm-hmm. engage in a lot of extracurricular activities, partly because of the distance involved and um, schlepping back and forth, you know, for, for soccer practice or, or yearbook club just wasn't a, wasn't a possibility. So um, long story short, um, I, 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 there were people now that I really connected with and I wish I, I wish I had done things with and gotten to know. And one of the cool guys I was talking to is a commercial real estate guy. And I'm guessing he's probably very successful, but he ain't on TV. And Bill, that's where it is. Uh, and by the way, this guy I'm talking about commercial real estate uh, sales. Um, he actually had read my book. But the vast majority of the things that I uh, heard were had to do with TV. TV bill is mm-hmm. so powerful. I had yeah. you know pe- people that I haven't seen in thirty years coming up and putting their arms around me and saying how proud of me they are. So they they, they knew that you had, had been on TV already. They, they were aware they of your and success. It's based on TV. It's not based on writing by yeah. large. By mm-hmm. large, it's not based on writing a book. It's not based. It's not based on writing three columns a week. It's are you on TV? Um, but I have to say, I mean, you know, it's, it's a good, it is a good feeling, uh, to go back as, uh, you know, something Mm -hmm. in the eyes of other people being on TV is a big deal. Bill. Right. 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 (laughs) So anyway, it was, um, it was well worth doing. It it obviously dredges up a lot of emotions and, and, Mm -hmm. and and nostalgia and, and, and regrets, but overall it's part of my, um, you know, this is this goes with being a conservative in a way, actually being a real conservative. And, and the, in recent years, I've become more interested in things like tradition and community and bond, you know, and, and bonds. And, um, and and so I kind of forced myself to do this, to be a part of the human experience and to be introspective. And, and I thought maybe as a writer, it maybe it jars ideas or, or, or and uh, but it's there's a toll it takes. And I mean. There was a table bill with 11 of our classmates, pictures of 11 of our classmates. Some of them died in high school. So the pictures mm. of them, I'm like looking at these kids, like mm. I've, got, I've got kids who are almost as old. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. of the friends that I lost along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, we lost, I think, three classmates during the COVID era, just in the past mm. few years. So mm. um, I'm glad I finally did it. But it, 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 uh, did, did, did politics come up? It, it did, um, but in a good way, in a good way. So one of my one of my old friends, uh, you know, put her arms around me. And it was it was like, uh, I'm so proud of you. Um, and then she said, you know, I don't I don't always agree with you, but I'm but the way you do. She was so and I was like, look, I don't always agree with me and, and we don't have to agree. And mm-hmm. so we agreed to disagree on some things, which is awesome. That's the way it ought to be. Mm-hmm. And then um, another uh, friend that I was talking to. Um, was right with me, you know, talking about how he used to be very conservative and his, his dad was very conservative. And, and now they, uh, they're not, they're not liberals, but, but they're in the remnant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, it came up only in good ways. It was in no way divisive, uh, and, and, and credit to them for people who, who may not agree with me on everything who said, we don't care because mm-hmm. this is deeper. This is deeper than that. Well, I'm glad you got to connect. Glad you yeah. got to. And I mean, I would uh, just encourage, you know, I don't want to dwell on this too much, Bill, but so when um, I really debated whether to do with this and I tried to talk with people 
about whether to do it. And, you know, and, and some people were telling me like, well, I don't go to reunions. I never liked those people when I was in school. I don't, you know, right. and there was a sort of a utilitarian argument like, well, just take the money and do something with your family or take your, take a friend out to dinner. Right. And, yeah, and, right. and, and, and you know, and I was talking to my mom and she's never gone yet. She, she may, I may, I may have talked mm. her to going to the next one, but she's never gone. She didn't have a great high school experience. And so she said, you know, uh, she's never gone. And she's like, well, but ask your aunt Beulah because she goes every time. And I said, well, but wasn't she really popular in high school? And mom's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, well, okay, that doesn't help me either. <laughs> someone who didn't enjoy school, not going to the reunion, someone who loved every minute of it goes to every union. What I need to meet is someone who didn't have a great experience, but went and, and found some enlightenment or closure from it. Um, and I may be the per I may be the first person <laughs> that, that represents that who's ever talked about it. I'm guessing I'm not. But anyway, the point is, if you're out there and you're thinking about it, I would vote yes. Go go to your next reunion. All right. Um, well, we should get down to business. Um, so it looks like if you look at the polling in Wisconsin and Georgia. You know, John, Ron Johnson, Herschel Walker are doing better, even ahead in some polls. But I saw the and the averages for Wisconsin essentially it's tied. I think Johnson has like a half point edge in the real clear politics average and is fully tied in the 538. Um, do you think that Republicans have gone up off the mat here? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think this is in I don't think this is, is evidence of that. I, I think, mm -hmm. I think that this is evidence of Republicans always having in some ways the wind at their back. It is historically, this is supposed to be a Republican year. Um, and certainly uh, a normal candidate in Georgia would probably be expected to win easily um, in this environment in this year. And so I don't think it's entirely surprising in that context that Herschel Walker is kind of treading water and that there's uh, parity there. Um, so I, I do think that on one hand, it's bizarre, right? I mean, Herschel Walker is kind of a joke. Um, but Bill, you made a point. He, he had a really, he is, he is actually smart in a way. Uh, uh, he is, uh, there's a debate coming up and he is basically saying, you know, Raphael Warnock is a much better debate. I'm not that smart. Raphael Warnock's yeah. a much better debater. I'm just going to try just, my. Just, I'm just a country boy. I'm just a country boy. But, you know, good Lord willing, uh, I'm just going to show up and see if the we, I can help the ball club. I mean, I thought it was a really good answer, and and as you pointed out, it's maybe it's evidence he is smart. Well, he's he's, he's listened to smart advice. I mean, it it was, you know, you know, ham fisted. You could say maybe it's a little too much English on that ball, but you know. Uh, in the environment we're in, I think there is value in ratcheting your expectations down to absolute rock bottom so you can jump over the bar on the ground. Um, I think, I mean, I think also with Herschel Walker, I mean, his credibility has never been based on being a policy wonker, an expert. And if he tries to be that, it's not going to work. He just doesn't have it. So I think this plays to his strength, like own it, you know? 
Um, so I think it's managing expectations, but I also think it fits within his brand. It's, 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 it is a smart move. And so maybe he's being misunderestimated. I mean, it's smarter than what Oz is doing in Pennsylvania, where they're trying to make Federer seem to be completely discombobulated and not, and not mentally, physically repaired for the job. They've, but don't, they've I mean, said Federer's like, expectation is low. That, well, I agree with you that that could come back to bite Oz in the butt uh, because he's setting the bar low. However, I do feel like it has helped Oz. That Oz, there, was a, there was a moment where it looked like Oz, where the race was over and Oz was down and out. And it, and it seems like he has rebounded based on concerns of, and I think legitimate concerns uh, about Fetterman's, you know, uh, health. Well, okay, I'm just glancing at the latest number, if I can. Well, look, while you're glancing, yeah. let me let me put yeah. in a caveat that we have not mentioned in a long time, yeah. what we need to be reminded of, and that is, yeah. do we trust the polls? The polls are oh. often, often wrong. And and I just throw that out there. So well, I think I think often is strong. Um, they can be wrong. Um, you know, I just looked at this piece that I wrote for Real Clear a couple weeks ago about about governors' races, and uh, uh, eighteen of twenty times when the governor had a lead and was below fifty percent, if I'm remembering my numbers correctly, that governor still won. You know, uh, and I'm not even counting the races where the governor was up by, you know, 10 points, 20 points. Uh, so I don't think it's correct that like they're they're total bunk. Uh, you obviously can, you can find examples. Yeah. One of the big problems in the, in the presidential race has been when there's not good state polling. And so like in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. as far as we know, that that is very good. Right. It's, it's incredible. But still, I mean, Bill, as you know, in this day and age, trying to estimate like so first of all cell phones have been a game changer mm-hmm. um i think we have republicans who are very hostile to pollsters and well, you're, to, well you're, you're nate nate Cohn just tried to address that okay. question and i think maybe nate silver too but uh some Cohn had a piece essentially making the be wary of the polls argument they were really wrong in 2020 in various places and then silver wrote something like hey the polls aren't so bad and then Cohn wrote a piece that was sort of a more sign with silver. Um, and he was arguing that in the, the polls that the, the one that they, that they just did the, at the New York times, that the response rates of Democrats and Republicans were, 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 were pretty even. Uh, and so it may be that the, the so-called shy Trump voter theory that might've been more accurate when Trump was on the ballot in 2020 yeah. and 2016, yeah. maybe well, we're not seeing that in 2022. The other problem, Bill, is just turnout, right? Um, pollsters are trying to figure out who's going to turn out, and that's the sample, and that that's the ball game. If you get the sample, I mean, if if you if you uh, if you get turnout wrong, then everything, all your other method, you know, the methodology stuff all hinges on that. And so it's a tough thing to say. We've never had an election. Um, every election is unique, but we've, but th- if you think of the weird stuff happening, like the Dobbs decision happening, Donald Trump, Mar-a-Lago being raided, Trump, you know, basically declaring for election, mm-hmm. um, inflation. There's a, there's a lot of variables out right. there that are not 
that are not normal, that they're going to have to make. They're going to make they pollsters make guesses and assumptions about who's going to show up. And it's hard to be to get that perfect. Well, D- Democrats, you know, Pat Ryan in the special election, New York 19, was losing in most of the polls and won. Uh clearly in part because of um, energized Democratic turnout. Does that mean the pollsters were bad? They did a bad job? Or did Democrats just not let the polls get into their heads and put on a good campaign? Um, so you, you don't want to treat polling like it's gospel. Um, and that, I mean, you know, I feel like we, we, do. I mean, we do. We do. Polling I mean, is always not, sold as a snapshot, not yeah. as a hard and fast predictor of what's going to happen. They say where things stand at this moment, um, and they try to sh- you know show you their work. Where these are these are the these are the estimations we're making in terms yeah. of turnout. Um, so anyway, uh, is there still an argument that Johnson and Walker are improving? Because they're improving within the same polls, you know, um, uh, and whereas with uh, Fetterman Oz, so uh, you know, Oz has not led any poll um, in. So right now, in real clear, Fetterman's up by four in the average. I think three of those four polls are using are polls that are generally considered to be right-leaning. Um, if I go over to 538, um, Fetterman is up by nine. Uh, so, uh, you know- I don't know. There, there's clear- been a, maybe it's anecdotal, Bill, but there has been a sense that the race has tightened. And I feel like uh, Oz needed that. I mean, whether whether it's uh, you know ephemeral or not, he needed to stay in the game, and and sometimes you have to make short term decisions to stay alive today, just so you know you, you can fight tomorrow. And and it may be that that by um, lowering expectations for Fetterman, Oz is creating a, a a disaster down the road. But he needs he needs to be relevant today, or else yeah, you're gonna, or else you're going to see. Mean- you're going to see people pulling money out of that state, which is which has not happened in Pennsylvania, whereas it has happened in Arizona. Yes. You can't. If uh, that happens, then it becomes like a self fulfilling prophecy. I mean, and and I, I, I do want to talk about Arizona, but I, I want I want to say one thing about Pennsylvania, which I think is important. I mean, you got it. You still have to say that Fetterman is the front runner here. Um, it is. He's had a healthy lead the whole time. Uh, and uh, if Republican, and that, that, that's a flip. If Federer wins, that's a flip to the Democrats. That's adding a seat. That's Pat, if, Pat Toomey is currently the senator, right? Right uh, from Pennsylvania. If that if that chess piece is taken mm-hmm. off the board for Republicans, they now have to net two to take control of the Senate, and that makes their map a lot harder. Not impossible. Uh, remember, Wisconsin is a Republican incumbent, right? So yeah, Johnson is doing better, but that's that's a seat that's not would yeah. be a flip for Ron Johnson wins that race. It's just the status quo. Republicans keep the seat. If Republicans are moving out of Arizona, we should talk about that more in a little bit. What does that leave on the table for flips? And all I can see right now is 
Georgia, and Nevada. And I mean, they could win both. I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not saying it, it's impossible, yeah. but I feel Ohio, like Ohio is another example of, of a race where Republicans just need. They're they're trying to. That's an incumbent. That's a Republican incumbent. Yeah, I mean, defending. It's Rob Portman's retiring and JD. Right. right. I mean, if the, I mean, if somehow Republicans blow Ohio, I mean, I mean, if if Republic, I mean, there are Democrats have right now just based on polling, four opportunities for flips. Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, and North Carolina. And you might say, I don't believe Ohio. I don't believe North Carolina. The polls over is inflated. Maybe. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, that's yeah. just the numbers we have looking at us right now. They have multiple routes for maintaining control of the Senate. And the only – I see a single scenario for Republicans taking control now, which is they hold Ohio, Wisconsin – and North Carolina, um, they they probably have to cough up Pennsylvania, and they flip Arizona and Georgia. That is the only credible scenario I see right now of Republicans taking the Senate. Possible, I'm not saying it can't happen, but they definitely are constrained in their in their routes. By the way, uh, let's take a moment to um, Bill. As I put these videos up on YouTube, and I have to say. For those watching or listening out there, um, go to uh, youtube.com slash Matt Lewis uh, and subscribe and you can get this. But the last few weeks, we've been having a little technical difficulty. It hasn't affected your audio at all, but my video has been out of sync. Hopefully it'll be fixed. We'll see. I'm efforting that. But Bill, one of the things that I need to do every week is, is find a screenshot of us that looks compelling. Mm-hmm. So I would ask you right now, let's smile and sort of if you would kind of like raise your hands or something like. Are, are you assuming yes. that I don't normally smile and gesture su- sufficiently for our screenshot purposes? If, and here's the thing. We have to we have to both be doing it at the same time. So like I can't have a picture where I look active and I look I'm smiling and making, you know, gestures. <laughs> Bill is like doing a mime. <laughs> it's very, it's, it's a, he's like voguing, you know. He's voguing or something. I'm not even sure. Uh, it's like a Madonna video, but um, I can't have a video. I can have a picture where I look great, and you're like looking at your phone, reading. You know, so every once in a while, I'd like to just pause and and, and if we could do that. So thank you, okay. uh, for that for that moment. Okay. Um, so do I do you agree with me that Republicans got a? I mean, it's, it's a midterm year where they're the out party. They shouldn't have to thread the needle. I think on the Senate, they kind of have to thread a needle here. I mean, that might be a little extreme because, I mean, it is reasonable they could take Nevada and, and Georgia. Yeah. But it seems like a lot of – everything's got to fall their way where, where Democrats got more elbow room. I know, but still, if, if I had to bet today, I think I bet that they do it. I think I bet that they, they do that. They do that specific scenario. Specifically. So I think if I have to bet today – I would bet that um, I, I think Republicans hold Ohio. I think Republicans uh, flip Georgia and flip Nevada. Um, so would that be enough? I think. I think. But I think. But I think Fetterman. Right. I think Fetterman beats Oz in Pennsylvania. Right. right. So would that? I mean, be and you and you think Johnson beats Barnes? I think Johnson. Beats, I think he does. He he he's like um, 
he's like bad breath. He keeps coming back. You know what I mean? I, I think he pulls it off. Um, I think Barnes is the weakest candidate that Democrats have on the field. Now, maybe is, he will. This is a shame for Democrats, right? I mean, I'm guessing they could have nominated someone who would have won that race. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not counting Barnes out here. I mean, I think John- Johnson has his own problems. Uh, uh, but uh, Barnes said too much defund the police kind of kind of things in the aftermath of George Floyd that the Johnson campaign is using uh, against him. I, I think a lot of the defund the police crime stuff seems desperate in a lot of races. Um, Cause you know, by and large Democrats have not been defund the policers. They have given more money to the police. Uh, I think the, you know, the crime spikes are not as, as, uh, intense right now. Um, uh, so I don't think this is a strategy that's going to work across the board for Republicans. But in the case of Barnes, they're using things that he said. They're taking yeah. quotes um, and showing the video. And there's one that I saw, I mean, quite frankly, there's a lot of you know, race baiting in it. You know, uh, it's a, you know, a, a dark image of Barnes. Barnes is African-American. Um, uh, they have him juxtaposed with, you know, Urban images, graffiti, like defund the police in, in graffiti script. Um, so they're trying to push those buttons, but of course, those buttons have been successfully pushed in history. Yeah. Uh, and, and, he, so, and he is, and he has enabled that by virtue of things he said. I mean, if he was running as Barack Obama in two thousand eight, it'd be harder to pull that off. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think Barnes. Barnes didn't do, I mean, I think he's tried to back away from that stuff. Uh, but, I mean, just the, the mere fact that the polls have tightened very quickly in the past two weeks after yeah. this ad barrage says to me, Barnes did not do enough to inoculate himself from those attacks and really convince people that, hey, that's not me. Um, now, Johnson has plenty of negatives on his own. Well, I, uh, wasn't he um, trying to advance a... Uh, a a fake elector or whatever he was, he was, his office was trying to introduce a fake elector to Mike Pence. Is that right? Something I mean, like- there's all, there's so many Johnson, weird Johnson things. And honestly, I, I've tried to, it, it can be hard to find the ads sometimes. Actually, I, I, it's not clear to me if the Barnes campaign has not uh, played all its cards yet and dropped all its bombs on Johnson uh, or they have, and I just don't know where to find them on on the intertubes. Um, but I've I've come across more of the attacks on Barnes, and I've seen attacks on Johnson. Well, and there's um, also for some reason they're going after Johnson, and not Barnes specifically, but just the left is going after uh, like super PACs and stuff. We're going after Johnson for like stuff that he's actually not guilty of, um, having to do with. They're saying that he, you know, remember during the uh, the Trump tax cuts, mm-hmm. Ron Johnson fought to have like pass through LLCs included, and they're alleging that Johnson did that um, because his business was personally profit. But it also yeah. happens that ninety five percent of businesses in America mm-hmm. will profit from that tax cut. So that seems like uh, a little conspiratorial to me. Um, well, and well, although, 
there's plenty of legitimate stuff that they ought to be hitting him on. I'm not sure why they uh, are focused on. I would, I would I would imagine they've you know poll tested the focus group this stuff you know to death, and they probably some of the the things that you that the average Democrat hates about Johnson may not be as compelling to a swing voter. So yeah, I'm sure. If, yeah, I mean you see this in Republican attack ads all the time. You know, corrupt. Even when they're talking about you know socialism and ideological type things, they'll often marry it with some kind of corruption angle. I think corruption as a general rule, I mean, um, can hit that non ideological voter, you know, more squarely. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it could be the fact that didn't Johnson say that like January 6th was like a picnic or something? Was that him? I can't remember, but I, I, I can't keep it all straight. The false elector <laughs> stuff. It may be that like the tax cut thing has more resonance in Wisconsin than the false elector thing. I think that that's disturbing if true, but it very well may be, uh, uh, presumably they've poll tested this. So, yeah. But I, I think Fetterman has done a really good job presenting himself as a regular guy, a non-ideologue. I think Ralphie Warnock has done a great job saying I'm a regular guy, non-ideologue. I mean, the, the attack ads on Warnock in Georgia are acknowledging they, that there's this there's a perception of Warnock as a middle of the road moderate, and they're ha- and they're having to overtly say this is not true. He does these. He votes with Biden ninety six percent of the time. Don't listen to his ads. Like they they realize that they are on the defensive there, and Barnes has not managed to reach that status, and so that's yeah. making his race harder than it had to be. All right, let's um, go back. I want to zero in on this, Bill, because I'm not good at math. I was told there'd be no math in this profession. Um, <laughs> So let's just assume that I'm right. Um, Republicans, you know, Republicans kind of hold their seats like Ohio, like Wisconsin. And um, but they win in Georgia and they win in Nevada. Fetterman wins in Pennsylvania. Is that enough for Republicans to take the Senate? I'm sorry. Um, can, Fetterman, can you give me Fetterman, one time? Wins, Fetterman wins in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Herschel Walker wins in Georgia. Adam Laxalt right. wins in Nevada. Right. And uh, everything else is status quo. That, that, that's that's Republicans gaining two, Democrats gaining one, Republicans net one. So that's a tie. And that's not. That's Republicans 51-49. They have, Republicans have to net one. So it's not 50-50 oh, anymore. Oh, you're right. Okay. So that would be enough. So, okay. So right. thank you for helping me. I Sometimes I need <laughs> uh, I need a little, you know, a little help. I'm, maybe I'm the Herschel Walker of this duo. <laughs> um, just just I'm, a I'm country just, boy. I'm just a country boy, but you, I think you've helped spell it out now. And so I think my prediction today, assuming that you're right, would be that Republicans will take the Senate. I'm surprised that I've come to that conclusion. <laughs> that, that apparently um, is my prediction. Um. I'm happy to see this. We're getting some coverage about North Carolina, which has been kind of a sleepy race. Yeah, and both Axios and the New York Ed Times have pieces on it. Beasley is that? Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. And it's it's a fascinating race because you have two candidates who don't want to be bomb throwers. Um, the Republican Ted Budd, even though he's Trumped and Doris, he's trying to be, hey, I'm just generic Republican, I'm just regular guy. And Sherry B is like, I'm not an ideologue. I'm a judge, and I'm going to bring a judicial temperament to this. And um, uh, and polls show it close. Uh, so uh, it's hard. I th- and, and both articles said, you know, it's really hard to say with certainty how that's going to go. Uh, and in Nevada, 
uh, Cortez Masto, you know, won a narrow race uh, six years ago. Uh, Laxalt is not the strongest Republican, but perhaps not the weakest, not as bad as Masters or or Oz or Vance. Um, uh, I just saw an attack. I saw an attack ad on Cortez Masto in Spanish, Spanish language ad, accusing her of, of siding with drug dealers and criminals uh, and prisoners. Uh, so is that going to be enough to lower her Latino vote and make that competitive for, for Laxalt? I mean, obviously right now it's, it's a knotted up race from what we see in, in the, in the polling. Uh, but Nevada is always close and, and Masto won a close race last time. So just because, just because it's close doesn't automatically mean that it's lost for her. Uh, and Laxalt has his weaknesses too. So, you know, that that to me is a jump ball, a jump ball race. I will say, I think it, you know, the the Trump supporters out there in America, um, who argue that Republicans were never going to win again unless Trump and unless Trump became president, that it was kind of game over. You know, I will say it, it has been interesting because there were states like Nevada that I thought were trending really blue maybe permanently, and they're not. And and I wonder if the perception that demographics is destiny and that they were going to trend. I remember Harry Reid had this whole machine with the Restaurant Workers Union. Reid is no you know, longer with us. Maybe that's part of the story, too. Like mm-hmm. Maybe just like the John McCain machine is gone from Arizona. Maybe, the, maybe that's the answer. But did Trump changed the coalition so much that it actually has made some of these states more competitive? Um, or, or is it the Harry Reid factor? Well, I mean, Nevada has been light blue for a while. It has never become super blue. Uh, and, uh, you know, there is this question of uh, the Hispanic vote not breaking hard for Democrats. I think the Times just did a piece saying, look, you Republican, you know, this notion ever that that Democrats are blowing it with the Latinos is over is is, is overwrought. There's, they still have a considerable advantage there. Uh but but Democrats aren't running up the score either. You know, they're just kind of holding holding still. Uh so uh you're you're seeing Republicans trying to compete there. I mean, it, you're, you're just never going to win Nevada in a, in a walk. That's going to be yeah. a close state for for a while, it would seem. And but there was, but there was a question whether Democrats. I mean, there was I'm a sorry? sense it was slipping away from Republicans. Like, not there's no permanent victories, but but that we could put it in the California category. Look, maybe. Biden won Nevada by two point five points. You know. Not a blow. Yeah, but that's in the that's in the uh, the new era. I'm talking about the question is, did Trump did Trump change the coalition to the point where he actually is making it more? Com- he's he's changed the rules or was that assumption that Nevada was slipping away? Always BS anyway. Well, I'm, I'm just looking back at the numbers here. So, you know, Obama won Nevada by a lot. In the first time round, by 13 points. Of course, that was a big win overall for Obama. And with Romney, it was narrowed to uh, about six and a half. Yeah. Uh, Nevada has a considerable Mormon population that might help Romney there. Uh, Reed, of course, is also Mormon. 
Uh-oh. And then you're gonna make you're gonna then, start talking about the uh, the recent controversy, Bill, with oh, the Oregon fans yelling "f Mormons." Did you see that? I did not see that. Oh yeah, there's a big there's a this. I think this is related to the BYU scandal where uh, a Duke player, a Duke volleyball player, alleged that um, that someone in in the uh, BYU crowd was yelling the n-word and, and there's been no evidence that that happened they've, they've conducted a pretty extensive review and they can't find evidence but then uh byu i think it was their football team was playing in oregon and the oregon fans started yelling f mormons um yeah. let's say the f word mormons so uh governor spencer cox of, of utah has condemned this religious bigotry and i think the oregon team has as well, but uh, anyway, that's that's your Mormon minute, Bill. Mm-hmm. And so tr- Trump Trump lost, you know, by two and change both times, and Democrats are holding on because they get big turnout in the Vegas area and the in the Reno area. Um, so I mean, one of the open questions is going to be: Do you do, did Trump change the game, or if with Trump not on the ballot, it's not going to be as close? But, but well, Masto was close. Too. The other thing, Bill, could be that. Maybe Barack Obama was just that good, but he was a unique, a uniquely charismatic figure. And everybody attributed uh, his success to the notion that it was going to be, you know, that you could continue that. And, and, and maybe it was just as simple as Barack Obama was really likable. Look, I mean, you're not going to get me to say Obama wasn't good. Obama was good, uh, but um, <laughs> but Obama was also benefiting from the collapse of Republicans in 2008, Iraq War, global recession, um, and his his margins narrowed as yeah. the recession um, lingered, uh, and then. Uh, you have all these culture war elements that cropped up in 2016 um, that. Uh, weaken the support that Obama was getting from uh, wider areas. Uh, and now, but some of those culture war things are benefiting Democrats because college-educated right-leaners are coming their way. So there's a lot of, you know, tectonic plates shifting here. And Nevada is a place that I think has a lot of white working class uh, where uh, the the benefits that have helped Democrats take, say, Georgia and Arizona <laughs> um, are, may not be as present for them in, in Nevada. Well, we're up about uh, getting close to the 40-minute mark, but I do want to bring up this other thing that we've been seeing, Bill. Um, this I, I would call it a trend or, or some, some evidence uh, that Republicans, that, that team normal, the Republican team normal, um, is enabling or normalizing <laughs> extreme behavior. So team normal is normalizing election denying. Um, and, and we've seen it a few, a few different things here. Um, first, literally, we saw this week, Liz Cheney saying that if Kevin, uh, if Kevin McCarthy hadn't gone down to Mar-a-Lago right after January 6th and, and resuscitated Donald Trump's, uh, you know, kept him, kept him in the game that, uh, that Trump you know, wouldn't wouldn't have bounced back. I don't know if that's true, but Liz Cheney's saying it. Um, there's 
a report that uh, that Mitch McConnell. Why don't you tell us about that that uh, report from a book uh, about Mitch McConnell? Right. So there's a book from uh, I believe Washington Post reporters. Um, uh, was unchecked. The title was. Um, uh, saying this, this focuses on the, the Trump impeachments and they report that uh, unchecked, uh, they report that in the aftermath of January 6th, McConnell told his aides, we've all known that Trump is crazy. I'm done with him. I will never speak to him again. And that he was really yeah. and seriously that, and, weighing and, and, and he him have, for impeachment. And he may have kept that one promise. I, I don't know that they've spoken <laughs> for what that's worth. Um, but, but, but McConnell, you know, but McConnell was really pissed off and he did vote against impeaching and removing Trump. And he kind of that was maybe the moment. Right. McConnell kept Trump in the game again. Right. I mean, the, the, McConnell could have tried to lean in harder and convince his caucus or enough people in his caucus. We need to you know, excise this cancer from the party, even if it's going to cause us some short term pain. This is long-term disastrous for us and for the country. Um, and in the, the day, you know, he didn't do that. So he, they, they, they quote, um, this is in the Washington Post book excerpt, um, that uh, Liz Cheney made a personal appeal to McConnell to use his leadership position to step out against the president and give his rank-and-file Republicans political coverage to do the same. She pressed him in a series of phone calls to bring the Senate back from a congressional recess before the Biden inauguration, and quickly convict, convict Trump before he left office. Republicans would follow his lead, she insisted, to McConnell. And besides, Trump still posed an ongoing threat to the country. McConnell told Cheney, Cheney he did not disagree on her last point, though he was adamant that logistically the Senate could not convict Trump in a week. In his view, Trump deserved the right to find counsel and prepare a defense, no matter how guilty he was. McConnell also acknowledged another fear to Cheney that started to creep into his psyche, that conviction might make Trump a martyr in the eyes of his followers, empowering him in the long run, that might pose even more of a threat to the Republican Party, he feared. McConnell told Cheney, uh, and, they quote, and they quote McConnell here, quote, we don't disagree on the substance, we just disagree on the tactics. Let's just ignore him. Yeah. So Hasn't worked. It, I mean, I, uh, we've tried that time and again, and it hasn't worked. But I think another part of this story is, happening with um, with governors and former governors, Bill, Team Normal. We saw Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, is apparently going to go to Arizona and, and campaign for Kerry Lake, who is an election denier. Um, we've seen Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, who, you know, kind of heroically stood up to Donald Trump, is, is now uh, running with a lieutenant governor who I think is an election denier and they're not technically running as a ticket. Like, like some states have the governor, lieutenant governor on the same ballot line, but they're, but they are running as a ticket, uh, effectively. Um, and then we see it with, um, Doug Ducey, the, the governor of Arizona, the outgoing term limited governor of Arizona, who, you know, campaigned vigorously against Carrie Lake um, saying some pretty harsh things about her, who then promptly endorsed Carrie Lake. So Team Normal um, is normalizing, <laughs> election denying, and Team Normal, whether that's McCarthy or McConnell or, or Ducey or Kemp um, or Youngkin, they are, uh, I don't know, it seems to me to be 
a trend that is indicative of uh, of where we are. What do you think? Well, I think mean, more than a trend, I think there. I mean, this has been the case since the beginning of Trump that the the saner Republicans make the conclusion we we can't win without Trump supporters. We can only distance ourselves from Trump so far. Um, so Yunkin, you know, kept Trump to a, a little bit of a distance, and when he ran last year, but never totally buried him or, or disavowed him in any way. Uh, and, you know, Vir you know Virginia is obviously a unique state that with the one term limit on governors. So Yunkin doesn't have to worry about winning reelection in Virginia. Yeah. And if he wants to run for president, which some people think he does, you want to make nice with people all across the country. Um, uh, I, it's to me, it's even weirder. So, so I, I'm like, yeah, holy the one bothers me the most because it wouldn't be weird for him to like, if Youngkin didn't go to Arizona and campaign for Kerry Lake, that wouldn't be a weird slight. It's like, well, the, the governor of Virginia usually campaigns for mm -hmm. the governor of Arizona. Like, that wouldn't, to me, that wouldn't be a weird slight. And it's out of, the thing is, with Youngkin, it's it's out of character with Youngkin. Is it? Is I, it? Well, I think he, <laughs> his brand is Mitt Romney, right? Or well, I, I, I mean, I think I think he was very cannily presenting himself as more mainstream Republican to win his election. He is, uh, though. He's a he's like a rich establishment Republican, Bill. If he's pretending anything, it's he's pretending that he's not an establishment Republican. I, I think it's a pretty, I mean, regardless of the election denial stuff, I think he's a pretty hard right guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's going after transgender kids right now. He tried to run roughshod over schools who wanted to have tougher mask requirements when, on the front end of his administration. Um, he's trying to lead as hard as he can on abortion, uh, even though it's Virginia, Virginia's pretty blue. Um, uh, so, I mean, this is a pretty conservative guy. Yeah, uh, but conservative is different from illiberal and right wing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, again, he not he may not be illiberal to his core. He may not be someone who would actively claim an election was rigged if just because he lost it. But I think he seems perfectly comfortable trying to operate in the Trump space to advance. Um, he's not trying to be a Mike Pence who is going to, you know, draw firm lines here. Yeah. But I mean, I think that part of what this tells us is that, I mean, of, of all the people who've been elected in the last couple of years in the Republican Party, that might be seen as someone who is simultaneously normal and electable. Like there's a, a Venn diagram that's very, like, where the overlap is very narrow and like Glenn Youngkin is the only person maybe on that list. Um, and if he is now campaigning for an election denier, then team normal, you know, there, there ain't a lot of other people to turn to. I mean, Mike Pence, oh. I, we could talk about Pence. I just don't think he's electable. Youngkin, I think would have an outside chance. Um, but what good is it if he's, teaming up with election deniers. Well, look, Ron DeSantis is putting a lot of pressure on people here. I mean, DeSantis, I, I don't know if you read the um, New York Times profile of DeSantis. Is this a new one? Yeah. I've read many profiles of Ron DeSantis. It's one, that, it's one that came out last week. I don't know. 
um, which if you haven't read it, you should read that. That 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 this is the most comprehensive profile of DeSantis I've seen. Though I might not be the most the, the best DeSantis file in the universe. Um, but uh, you know, here's here's just one one example of it. Um, you know, because they because they they point out that DeSantis wasn't always a culture warrior. Um, but uh, they said the governor's high interest in transgender issues is, is both relatively recent and entirely consistent with trend lines in the party, drawing in traditional religious, religious conservatives and a newer breed of online brawlers attuned to viral snippets of perceived liberal excess. The subject has become a proxy for what DeSantis has called a, quote, mind virus, unquote, sending Democrats of all gender identities well beyond the cultural mainstream. His team has been known to track Libs of TikTok, a popular social media clearinghouse for clips and commentary depicting liberals and often LGBTQ people and their allies as dangerous to society. Um, Pushaw, as campaign aide and former press secretary, suggested in March that opponents of the parental rights and education bill condoned grooming in young kids, tweeting weeks later that Libs of TikTok, quote, truly opened my eyes, unquote, to the number of educators readily discussing sex, sexuality, gender identity. Um, anyway, my, my, my point there is that DeSantis literally has an operation designed to scour social media and identify opportunities to wage culture war battles and be on the offense, mm-hmm. uh, which you're now seeing, you know, with the um, Martha's Vineyard, um, you know, migrant, you know, kidnapping operation. Um, yeah. No. So uh, we don't want to get into that, do we? <laughs> well, he's getting he's getting sued. The, the migrants themselves are suing him, saying they were duped. Well, let's, so let's see how that plays out. Let's see how that plays out. Um, I still don't know if it would be even worst case scenario. I, I think kidnapping is not the right word for it. Um, my point is here that DeSantis is showing that if you want to win the hearts and minds of Republican primary voters at minimum, you got to play very aggressive culture war offense. Yeah. Uh, and that makes it a lot harder for a Youngkin. I mean, here, Youngkin wins the governor's in Virginia by not being a culture warrior, um, more, more mostly. Uh, to the extent that he was playing the education card in Virginia, he was arguing that Democrats are playing culture war. Democrats are the aggressors. I want to. I just want to be normal, you know. Uh, and there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of bread and butter stuff in his campaign. Um, there was a lot. Of, I'm going to boost education budgets and say something kind of liberal. Uh, so he didn't win the in the DeSantis model. But he, if he's saying to himself, "How do I compete with DeSantis in a primary?" Uh, I better get in good with these people, otherwise I'm going to seed the whole playing field to him. I mean, you you could make the opposite argument. I got to cut against the Sanders and do something different. Yeah. But he's well, not he's I, not making I, that calculation. I I think that there are a lot of liberal or progressive or left wing overreaches in the culture, um, and I'm fine with standing up and fighting them. Um, and I think you can do that without going three thousand miles away or twenty five hundred miles away and campaigning for Kerry Lake. I just don't think you need to do that. Well, you, you need to, you need to travel. You're you not, need to get outside your state if you want to run for president. You're not gonna but the other thing too is like I think that that Yunkin so first of all, Yunkin has a slim chance of as it is, let's be honest. Okay. There's one like the game is DeSantis versus Trump. That well, what, what that's, the two of them tear each other apart, maybe someone else runs up the middle. Okay. But to the extent that Yunkin has a shot, 
I think that his play is to be is to be in that Venn diagram, to be like minimally acceptable to MAGA, but also to be acceptable to me um, <laughs> and, and, and sort of Reagan Republicans. Um, and I just don't see how that how, how going to Arizona and campaign campaigning for Carrie Lake uh, is a necessary ingredient. And in, in fact, I think it probably hurts his chances of holding if he wants to have be in this Venn diagram of people who are acceptable to MAGA and acceptable to me, um, that's I, I think this doesn't help with that. Well, I think you're I think you're you're mad because you, you want an electable Pence. You you, you like Pence. You think he's not electable. Of course I and do. You you hope Youngkin was going to be that guy. Now he's not going to be that guy. And well, I'm not sure that guy's going to going to present themselves. That. I think it's a missed opportunity. He's never going to out MAGA Trump. He's never going to out jerk DeSantis. It's just not going to happen. And so what he has to be, he can't become a joke, though, right? He can't become a laughing stock. Um, he can't be Liz Cheney. I hate to say it. I mean, Liz Cheney is freaking courageous and tough, but he can't become Liz Cheney. So he has to play the game to a certain degree to be minimally acceptable to MAGA, but he's never going to out Trump them. He's never going to out MAGA them. And I think trying to do so. By trying to be all things, you know, you end up losing the thing that he does have, which is the potential to be the to unite a co a broad coalition um, on the right, on the center, and the right. Um, DeSantis is also shy. I mean, DeSantis would have potentially had a chance to do that too, and is running to the base instead of that. Well, I mean, I, I think it's weirder that DeSantis, DeSantis is making these trips also. Uh, DeSantis is uh, traveling to uh, Wisconsin, I believe, in Pennsylvania, um, uh, and he's got. A, he's in the ballot this year, and and Yunkin isn't. So I think DeSantis take, makes a risk in telegraphing that he's not really running for his own job right now. Uh, but of course, he's still head in the polls by by a decent amount. And uh, if it is a risk, it hasn't uh, hasn't hurt him as as of yet. But you know, Yunkin, I think, is freer to travel because he doesn't have to worry about running for a Virginia, Virginia office ever again. All right. So we had a, um, a technical issue there, Bill. Uh, so we're going to try to tape this together. But you, um, why don't you go ahead? And I, at some point, you were t- I know you were talking about Ron DeSantis. Why don't you go well, ahead? Yeah, just, just that I thought that DeSantis um, was taking a bigger risk in his travels. I mean, he's, he's on the ballot this year. So campaigning for governors in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin leads them open to the charge of, hey, what about the job you currently have, buddy? You know, Youngkin doesn't have that that concern because he, he can't run for governor again in Virginia. Um, but of course, so far, DeSantis' travels haven't caused him to lose altitude in the polls. Although I haven't seen a poll since the whole Martha's Vineyard business. So curious if that does have an uh, impact there. Uh, but so uh, I, 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 I see Youngkin... Youngkin's behavior strikes me as more reasonable from his for as far as trying to make himself to be a national figure. All right. Well, since the internet gods have decided to come after us, uh, we should probably call it a day. I think we're, I think we're, you know, about normal episode length as it is. Bill, anything you want to plug this week? Yeah, I got, I got nothing. Uh, I, I've been writing. I'm trying to write a big print magazine piece for the Washington Monthly, which is taken away from uh smaller pieces uh so i don't have anything 
genius to offer uh, the world this week. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, let me plug this book. You've been played. Uh, I interviewed Adrian Hahn, who is, or Adrian Hahn, um, who is a uh, game, video game designer, also has a background in neuroscience. And he wrote this really, really good book. You've been played how corporations, governments, and schools use games to control us all. So, Bill, you know, I'm talking here about like the, the China, what China does with the social score, but also, um, you know, how Uber and Amazon use gamification to try to monitor and, uh, I guess, inspire workers. Uh, schools are using this now with kids for behavior modification. Uh, things like Fitbit are using it, you know, to try to get you to walk more and exercise more. So there's a the potentially bastards. positive aspect, but also a nefarious aspect as well. But <laughs> check out that podcast at Matt Lewis and the News. Uh, you also very- talked to our friend David Petruja recently, correct? I did. Right, right. Uh, David has a, a, a great brand new book out uh, called, is it Roosevelt Sweeps Nation is the title. Roosevelt Sweeps Nation. Um, David is just brilliant. Always good to talk with him. And the book's about the 1936 re-election of FDR, which, you know, in hindsight, it, it, you know, you, you might think it was always destined to be a landslide victory for FDR, but um, but there's a lot of interesting stuff happening, including, you know, Huey Long, uh, who plays a, an interesting role in the beginning of that campaign. Does, does he offer uh, a theory of why Long was murdered? Uh, did not get that from him, but, um, but I'd, I'd actually love to have David opine on that. Um, but, but I, look, I'll just say personally, my own, like, I think Huey Long and and as as David Petruja's book, I think buttresses this that that Huey Long was a very dangerous demagogue, and if there was a chance of someone becoming a dictator in America, it probably was him. Um, and so, I don't like to wish ill upon anybody, but maybe it's better that Huey Long wasn't <laughs> wasn't around for us to find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that <laughs> uplifting note. <laughs> uh, so um, anyway, check out uh, get get uh, Roosevelt Sweeps Nation by David Petruja. Uh, if if you're into history, David's a friend and a great historian and author. And if you were into, I mean, I'm telling you what, man, this gamification stuff is is scary. Uh, get the book. You've been played by Adrian Hahn, and uh, you can hear me interview both of them separately on Matt Lewis and the news podcast. All right. All right. Good to talk to you as always. Always talk. Good talking to you, Bill share. Follow us on Twitter at DMZ show. Uh, why don't you, you know, comment, like, follow us, subscribe to us at youtube.com slash Matt Lewis. And we'll see you back here in the DMZ next week.